It's great to be here this morning. I have several things I want to talk about this morning. Uh, first of all, I heard a funny story about a guy from the Midwest came down and met a wonderful Southern gal, Southern Belle, you know, and really wanted to impress her, didn't know quite what to say, and she talked and talked, and he listened, and she said that uh, she loved the Jewish people. I mean, she just loved the Jewish people. And then she went on to say she feels called to, you know, go to the Native American people. But she's a Southern gal, loved the Jews, loved the Native American people, and finally she gave him a moment to talk, and she said, "What? what's your name? And he paused for a second, and he said, he says, my, my name's Geronimo Epstein, <laughs> but my friends call me Bubba. So. <laughs> well, what a world, what a week, right? I mean, seriously, I read the Jerusalem Post this week, and I just, on one day, I printed off the headlines for the 24th of February. Here's one of them. Three things every Christian should know about Putin. Now, this is the Jerusalem Post, the Jewish biggest magazine in Israel. Three things every Christian should know about Putin, Ukraine, and war on Europe. And the article goes on to mention that it's the most Christian country in Europe, Ukraine. Isn't that interesting? And you, of course, know their leader's Jewish. But, of course, Putin's on his deceit campaign says he's a Hitler. Think of this, a Jewish guy accusing a Jewish guy of being a Hitler as he goes in there and bombs all their people. But that's one of the articles from the Jerusalem Post. Another one, Christians, wake up. If the world doesn't stop Putin, NATO and Israel are next. That's the Jerusalem Post. And it goes on to talk about his alliance with Syria and Iran. Third, another article, Ukraine war reminds Israelis we can only rely on ourselves. You know, if this happened in the 70s or 80s, a little country invaded, we would have jumped in and done something about it. But now we say you've got to be part of NATO. It, and I, I just, you know, I just see that. It breaks my heart. But uh, they're just bombing these people. And, and I find it interesting. Scripture says that in the end, no one will stand with Israel. Israel will stand alone in the end. America will not even help Israel in the end. Of course, that's after the rapture, which I wish were today. Uh, I would love for the Lord just take us any moment. And I believe the rapture is closer than it's... We know it's closer than it's ever been. That's obvious, but I believe it's very close. Look at what's going on in our world. The Bible said when it gets like it was in the days of Lot, look at all the immorality, the perversion in our country, our, the Christian country. And, and look at what's going on with wars and rumors of wars, and especially with Russia and China forming this alliance. None will stand with Israel, and we know in the end that the bear from the north, there's only two countries north of Israel, Turkey, who shouldn't be part of NATO, by the way, and Russia. And then the armies from the east we think about here are the Chinese saying we uh, uh, support uh, Russia in what they're doing. Here's another outline, another, excuse me, headline. Russia takes issue with Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights in Jerusalem. Now, just about a year and a half ago, there was an article that Israel found the world's largest crude oil supply in the world, right inside their border on the edge of the Syrian border. So now Russia believes that long, that land belongs to Syria. What does that tell us? Russia would love to come in there and get those resources. 
And the Bible teaches that when Russia and the armies from the east come in, that the only thing that saves Israel is Jesus Christ. So the rapture is going to happen before all that happens. We're living in the last days. The church is apathetic and lukewarm. Things that are going on in the world, we have to realize Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. We're looking at Ruth today. Chapter 1, we let off in verse 9. Each week when we study a book, as we're going through this whole book, I will review for about five minutes um, the introductory material and what we had discussed the week prior. Ruth lived between 1,000 and 1,100 years before Jesus. Probably Solomon was the author. We don't know, but we believe that's probably the case. The book of Ruth is read or was read every year by the Jews during harvest time. They'd have a, a public reading, everybody would stand, and they'd read the whole book, and that's the Feast of Pentecost at harvest time. Ruth, as you know, is a story of redemption, and there are many, many types in the book of Ruth. We think of types. These are things that point to the future. We think of Naomi, this little Jewish woman, that along with her husband and two sons traveled to Moab. And uh, Moab, of course, is a place that represents the world and all that. But they travel to Moab, and while they're there, uh, her husband and two sons die, and here she is. And she's a stranger uh, in the land. And, of course, Israel was a former bride of Christ. The Bible said God divorced Israel because she loved idols. That's spiritual adultery, by the way. If you love anything ahead of God, you're cheating on God. And she cheated on, Israel cheated on God. And she's then displaced and scattered over the whole world. And she's a type of that. She's displaced in Moab. And temporarily she lost her inheritance so she, so she came back. And then Boaz redeemed her and bought her land back. And that's a type of what Jesus is going to do for the Jew. They've temporarily lost their land. It's occupied by seven other nations, but one day the Lord's going to buy back their land. And then we have Ruth, the Gentile, who's a type of the bride of Christ. We know that uh, she was a wonderful daughter-in-law to Naomi, but she was a Moabite. Uh, according to chapter 4 and verse 10. Remember the Moabites were people who began with Lot's incest with her, his daughter and named the first child Moab. And of course, she's a type of the Gentile bride of Christ. She needed a Jewish redeemer, Ruth did. What a beautiful picture of our redeemer redeeming us. She was a stranger. We're aliens, the Bible said, outside the covenant. We're strangers. And she was brought in and a slave set free. Remember, she didn't have any work. She and her mother-in-law, Naomi, went and gleaned in the fields of slaves. And then they were left some handfuls for themselves on purpose by Boaz, who watched out over them, just like God watches out over us and gives us handfuls on purpose. And so she, along with other Gentile women, are a type, of course, of the bride. Remember Bathsheba married to a Hittite, and we know of Tamar, we know of Rahab, the Canaanite harlot. And then Boaz, what a great picture of the Redeemer, the great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns the field. He buys her, makes her a bride. What a type of Jesus. Remember, he was from Bethlehem. David's ancestral home was Bethlehem. And of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So again, this wonderful type. Now we are going to read verses 8 through, or 10 through 18 today. If you stand with me, chapter 1, 10 through 18. To save my voice, let's read responsively. I'll read a verse. Then you read a verse. So I'll read verse 10, and together we'll read verse 11. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. 
Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth cleaved unto her. And I love this verse. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking to her. God bless us. Let's take a look in this book for a walk in the world. We thank you for the great book, the inspired word of God. Ruth, what a story of redemption, Lord. We thank you for our redemption. Blessed now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, as you know, we left off in verses 8 and 9. We talked about that great word, chesed, that Hebrew word, translated kindness or loving kindness in your Bible, that love that wouldn't let go. We talked about that love and how God even loved the Assyrians with that love. The, the people of Nineveh who treated Israel terrible. God loves sinners because for God so loved the world. He loves even sinners. And, and it's, we talked about Hosea's love for Gomer here in uh, the Old Testament. What a great book that is. How he loved Gomer even though she went out and sold herself as a prostitute and had kids by other men and Hosea never stopped loving her. And we talked about Christ's love for the church. Uh, we talked about God's love for Israel and how husbands ought to love their wives. That's that agape is the New Testament love, that love that doesn't let go. And then in verse 9, we concluded in verse 9 talking about them lifting up their voices and weeping. And that means they cried out loud as they were about to say goodbye. And today we pick up in verses 10 and following. And we know that in verse 10, the Bible says, Ruth says, or excuse me, the Bible says in verse 10, and they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And we know that Naomi said three times, don't go back with me. I can't give you another husband. And we know that Ruth in her heart understood that it'd be hard to find husbands for them because they were Moabites. In Israel, the people of Israel were pretty much against the people of Moab and uh, wouldn't want to marry in with them. And she knew it would be difficult to find them husbands. But more than that, we look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, and you have to turn here because this is really a relevant verse to our text today. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. And we're going to look at verse 3 in just a moment. It's interesting, I was reading this week from a portion of the Torah. Now the Torah, we know is the law, and we think of the Torah from our perspective, and it's the, you know, the, 
39 books of the Old Testament. But to the Jew, the Torah was more than that. They believed in the oral traditions passed down. And they accepted some things we don't accept. Now, part of what they accept and part of what they believe, we accept and we go along with. And some we don't, we don't accept some of their oral traditions because we realize they go against the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we think about some of the teachings. I thought it was interesting. They'd said that, that Ruth, according to the Torah, now remember, this is not God's Word, not the Bible. This is a historical book from their perspective. And it may very well be true, but they said that Ruth was the granddaughter of King Eglon. Now, Eglon, remember, was that, the Bible says that great big heavy king, that Ehud, the left-handed Jew, went into his uh, private chamber when he was uh, it, it supposedly using the restroom, and he went in there and took that knife 18 inches and rammed it into his stomach, and his fat completely covered the handle. You remember that story? And then he locked the door like he was using the restroom and snuck out. And so they tell us that, that according to the Torah, that Ruth, a grandson of Eglon, and then the Torah also says that Eglon, that evil Moabite, was a grandson of Balaam. And you know the story of Balaam and Balak. And the Bible says no one of Balak and Balaam for ten generations will be allowed to enter the house of God. They were cursed ten generations because of that evil sin, the false doctrine. And you've probably studied the, the story and numbers of Balaam and Balak mentioned also in the New Testament. So now look at chapter 23 in verse 3. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. I mean, they were forbidden to go into the house of God. I mean, that's really a powerful law and a very difficult statement because it seemed to be hopeless for a Moabite to ever get to know God. And the law had shut her out. But let me tell you something. The law shut all of us out, but grace took us in. Grace took us in. Where the law kicks us out of the house of God, grace brings us into the family of God. And I love this story because uh, the, the fact that, that Boaz redeemed her. What a type. He went out and he bought her, uh, her, she, he bought her back. She, she's a Moabite. Maybe nobody wanted her, but he wanted her and he redeemed her. And he made it possible for her to enter, enter the house of God. Isn't that awesome? You know what the Lord did? He redeemed me. And I'm part of the family of God. I didn't deserve it. I'm a, I was an alien from the covenant of God, a sinful Gentile, and God saved me. And that makes it possible for me to go into the presence of God. And so here, what, what the law had shut her out, grace brought her in. I, I, I love Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Hey, when he redeemed her, she had this faith in Yahweh. He redeemed her and made her part of the family of Israel. And the same thing happened in my life when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I was redeemed and made part of the family of God. And you ought to rejoice in that because we're not deserving. We're just like the Moabites. It says here, they couldn't come into the house of God. Now back to Ruth. Ruth for the second and third time in verse 11. She says, go, go, don't go with me. I can't give you sons, I'm too old. 
Verse 12, she says it again. Turn again. I'm too old. I can't provide for you. She knew the risk. She knew the risk of, of, of Ruth and Orpha returning. And then I find it interesting because she says something here that gets my attention. In verse 13, she talks about her situation and she says, the, he says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of Yahweh is against me. And she begins a sort of pity party about her situation. Remember, she does not understand the future. She doesn't know the future. She doesn't realize that Ruth would be in the lineage of Christ. She doesn't realize that her name would be recorded in the Word of God forever. She doesn't think about all that. Her circumstances are bad, and she's negative. I have to work on my negativity sometimes. When things aren't good, I can get negative, can't you? And I can pout and complain, and why me? This doesn't happen to anyone else, you know. That that attitude. And that's the attitude she had. We'll talk more about that probably next week. But, no, I won't be here next week. I apologize. I'll be gone next week, the week after. But we know that her attitude was, God's been unfair with me. Well, getting back to verse 14, again, they wept out loud. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, which was common to kiss uh, a kiss. That was the greeting in that time and day, but they wept out loud. Orpha loved and respected her mother-in-law. The Bible said, Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth cleaved unto her. I love Genesis 2.24, that men should leave their mothers and fathers and cleave unto their wife. I've said this, and I'll say this, a good marriage doesn't include a mama's boy. Do you hear me, guys? Women are never asked to leave and cleave. Did you know that? Ruth here sets the example. She's going to leave her family probably because of their false teachings and she had now trusted the Lord. But never is a woman asked to leave their mother and father. It's always the man. Even the Jews didn't always obey that. They'd bring the the bride into the Jewish home. But Scripture teaches the man to leave and to cleave. And so Ruth mentions, she references, not that she's referencing Genesis 2, but she talks about cleaving. The Bible talks about Ruth cleaving to Naomi. That's repeated twice in the Gospels as well. But then in verse 15, we find here, it says here, And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Do you know you never hear of Orpha again? That's it. She went back to her gods. We never hear of her in the Bible again. You know, there's nothing about her at all. And of course, we could we could draw a parallel and say people who follow their false gods will end up being a distant memory and separated from God for eternity. And I I don't know about her faith, but it's apparent by the statement she went back to her gods that she did not have faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, who we know as to be the Lord Jesus Christ. She did not have that same faith that Ruth had, right? She went back to her people. And her gods. And when you read 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, you find out the gods of the Moabites demanded, of course, they're all false gods and demon possessed whatever, and they're all false, but they demanded the sacrifice of your own children. So they would sacrifice children to these false gods. 
That's just amazing to me and very sad to me. And I think of, of looking back. Sometimes in our lives, we want to look back to the old life. And her, her name, as you know, meant neck. And, and scholars believe it's because she looked back. I, I think of the sad story of Lot's wife. We don't know her name. But as they're leaving Sodom, they're told not to look back. And she looked back. And that's more than just a glance at the fire. It meant that her heart's desire was back there in Sodom. You think of a tragedy of that. That awful, awful city. That awful, awful city. And the tragedy, the tragedy of her life. And I think of the children of Israel. When they'd left Egypt, and then they got into the, the difficult 40 years of wandering. They complained and said, remember in Egypt when we had onions and garlic? And they're looking back to the good times of the past. They forgot to mention they had to make bricks and mortar. And they were slaves and they were beaten with whips. They forgot all that. They remember the good old days. Let me tell you something. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, forget those things that are behind. They're meaningless. Peace and joy are far more important in your life than the good times and the things that you think you had that were better in those days. And I think of Lot, going back to Lot, what a tragedy that a man couldn't influence anyone because Abraham went to God and said, God, would you spare the city for 50 people? I would. And it got down to 10. Would you spare the city for 10 people? And God said, I would. Now think of this. Lot and Mrs. Lot had two virgin daughters they offered to the to the, to the men who came wanting the angels. And Lot and, and Mrs. Lot had two daughters that were married and two sons-in-law-laws, and so they had at least eight, and we presume maybe more with children, so he couldn't even influence his own family. What a tragedy. Don't look back. Some of you think, well, I really would like to do some of the sinful things I did before I was saved. I really enjoyed some things about my past. I really think in some ways I had it better. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back to the Egypt in your life. Don't look back to the Sodom in your life. And then we get to verses 16 and 17. What a what an awesome 25 words beginning in the middle of verse 16. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, thou lodge. Thy people shall buy my people, and thy God, and that's Elohim, my God. She says, I want your God. There's four great love stories in the book of Ruth. Four love stories. I think of God's love for Ruth and Naomi to guide them in their journey. during A, a rough journey, no doubt, a difficult journey. To love them unconditionally. He loved them when they were in Moab. And they loved them when they were in Israel, and he always took care of them. He provided for them. That's the love of God. And then I think of Ruth's love for Naomi. Not many people love a mother-in-law like Ruth loved Naomi. That's pretty exceptional. You know, the the Catholic Church believes that Peter never married, but of course the Bible says he had a mother-in-law. And the, the saying is, how can you be married without a mother? How could you be married, you know, how could you be not unmarried if you had a mother-in-law? Excuse me. And then, of course, we say, who would want to be, who would want to have a mother-in-law if they weren't married? You know, and, and so this is a great love of, 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 of uh, Ruth for Naomi. And what a love story that is. I'm going to go wherever you go. 
You're my mother-in-law. I'm hanging on to you. I'm going to go to your land, worship your God. Then, of course, Boaz's love for Ruth. He redeemed her. And then finally, God's love for the world through the lineage of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. That's why Jesus came, because God loved the world. Just like He loved those evil, evil Assyrians enough to save them. 120,000. God loved the world. She really loved her mother. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. She made a choice. I I love the choice she made. She made a choice to follow her mother-in-law rather than her own family. And I find Scripture tells us in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, and Jesus answers, and verily I say unto you, there is no man that is, hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he that received a hundredfold now in this time. If you follow Jesus, it may cost you. It may cost you your family dynamic. And sometimes, even if you're in a so-called Christian family, your stand for Christ and stand against sin may even harm your relationship with your family, with your kids maybe, with your parents, with brothers and sisters. Living for God costs something. But it's rewarding. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24. In Genesis chapter 24 and verse 8, this is a great story. It's an interesting story, the story of Isaac and Rebekah. He travels a long ways to marry his cousin. <laughs> and we know that he sees her and he wants her and all that, and what a wonderful story it is. But verse 8, notice verse 8. Here's the test. God, verse 7, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and, and, and he, he references God, and he says here in verse 8, And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thy oath, only bring not my son thither again. In other words, the test of whether this woman's going to be the right woman is if she follows you. And today we have a lot of homes where men follow women. The man's the head. That's not popular today. I'm not saying the man should be a dictator. The man doesn't live, listen to his wife, he's a fool. But the man is the head, and God made it that way. And when we choose to, to do right and to make a decision for the family, the wife should be willing to follow her husband. No matter where he goes and what his calling is, a good wife stands by her man. Now, that's a phrase from a country song. But you know that's biblical, to stand by your man. And so here, that was the test. If Rebecca's the one, she'll follow Isaac. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and I'll go there quickly. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2. I'm going to read a portion of a verse here, which says here, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, 8 and verse 2 says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house. Certainly it's important for the family to be in agreement and united 
on marriage, on the right one. And if you have godly parents, you want them to approve of your wife or your husband. That's important. But if you have ungodly parents, you know, (laughs) who will not support you no matter what your decision, unless you do what they tell you to do, it's time for you to cut the apron strings. And and men, sometimes you have to say to your mom and dad, you know, you're not going to accept whoever I marry unless you handpick my spouse, but God's chosen me to marry this one. And that's the way it's got to be. And sometimes we have have to come to that point in our relationship with our parents. And back to our text, back to Ruth, chapter 1, and we pick up in verse 17. It says here, Where thou diest, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee from me. What a, what a statement. Naomi has made a decision. I'm going to die in your land. The rest of my life is committed to God. You know, I want to live my life that way. I want to finish well. I want to finish in the center of God's will, doing what God has called me to do, living right. And, and, and this is just a small part of my life, getting up here three times a week and preaching. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not the preaching that, while preaching is important, don't get me wrong, it's how I live my life. Monday through Saturday, and what kind of influence I am in the community with the people I come in contact with. While if I'm ordinary, who wants to get to know my God? Uh, if I don't pay my bills, who, who wants anything to do with my Jesus? Yeah. I know so many Christians that think going to church is where it all ends. No, it's where it all begins. It's not just about what we do on Sunday. We all look good on Sundays. We're all a bunch of great hypocrites on Sundays. We come in and we're just, it's all about Jesus. It's so good. And then we go out on Monday. You know? I mean, it is important to think about the Lord each and every day. When you wake up in the morning and you drop on your knees and you pray. And you say, God, this is your day. This is an important day. And I'm going to come in contact with people and, and maybe there'll be someone who needs Jesus that'll come across my path. And if you consecrate your life to God and you give your day to God, you're going to be surprised how God will pe- bring people into your path who need Jesus or who need groceries or who need encouragement. And that's why we're here. We're not here just to build our 401ks. Love not the world neither the things of the world. What does James say? You're spiritual adulterers. If you love the things of the world, you're cheating on God. Boy, we love it all. Sometimes we love it all more than we love God. But here's this great devotion. I I love Elisha's devotion to Elijah. A lot of great relationships in Scripture. I think of Jonathan's love for David. Jonathan was in his 40s and David was a teenager. But the Lord made him like that. Jonathan went against his own evil father, recognizing this young man is a man of God. Now that's a friendship. Sorry, Saul, Dad. David's anointed. And he helped hide David and stood by David. I love that. I think of Elisha and Elijah. Elijah said, stay back. And three times, stay back, stay back, stay back. Each time Elisha says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. What a relationship. I will not leave thee three times, he said. 
you wouldn't leave Elijah. Here, Ruth to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go with you into your land. Can you imagine the faith she had to have? Because no doubt she feared going to live with the Jews. A strange land, strange people, away from her own family. That's the choice she made. And the choice should always be the Lord first. Your God will be my God, and I'm going to die in your land. I'm going to be with your people. What a great testimony. And I, I love I love the oath here. Normally made uh, in the name of Elohim, but she makes this oath in verse 17 in the name of Yahweh. She, she just made an oath that I'm going to follow you into your land. Now, now, what do we learn so far from this great book? First of all, wives have to follow their husbands. Children have to obey their parents. That's a give me that. It's interesting because every one of you would say, I believe that my children should obey me because the Bible said children obey your parents. But the very same Greek word is used for wives obeying their husbands. And I, I don't even hear that preached a lot. People have become afraid to preach Submission, submission and, and obedience from, from women because women get mad at them. But let me tell you this, ladies. Your husband's calling is more difficult than yours because he's supposed to love you like Jesus Christ loved the church. And Jesus Christ died and gave everything. He'll buy you that nice coat. He'll take you to dinner. He'll romance you if he's the man he ought to be. If you don't tell your wife she's beautiful and say something wonderful to her each and every day, you're missing an opportunity to create a wholesome family. Listen, the woman you God gave you is the better part of you. Wives, I know I'm saying follow him, obey him, but I'm saying to him, you better love her the way Christ loved the church. What else do we learn? Don't look back. Some of you probably still look back to the world and miss that old life. Some of you haven't given up the old life. You're still hanging on to it, just a little bit of it. Because it still satisfies the flesh. You'll never amount to anything for God. You're hanging on to the old world and the old sin. We're supposed to turn our back on that. Oh, you'll be tempted every day. Did you know as long as you have this sinful body, you'll be tempted? Yield not to temptation for yielding to sin. You're always going to be tempted to go back and do the old thing. I'm 65 and sometimes I think, I'd like to go back to when I was 17. Are you kidding me? How dumb is that? Sometimes that's what I think. I'd like to do that again. Oh, really? How did I feel afterwards? You see, peace and joy are far more valuable than all those old experiences. Don't look back. And finally, have you been redeemed? Are you part of the family of God? Have you truly been born again? Have you truly repented of your sins and turned your back on that old life and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I'm committed to the rest of my life to Jesus Christ and nothing else is going to stand in the way. Remember the rich young ruler and Jesus said, go sell everything you had. You wouldn't do it. You remember the story of, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. People were selling their lands and giving everything to the church, and they were able to take care of the poor and needy. 
And God had instructed them to do it. The Lord had said, do it. And they sold their land, but they only gave a portion. And God killed them for that. I'm glad we're not under law, okay? But think how much we deprive the Holy Spirit's leadership. We quench Him or we grieve Him because we either do things that are wrong or don't do what's right. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to Him, it is sin. And so many times we're, we're falling short of the glory of God because we want to satisfy ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about taking care of myself. What about others? Have you been redeemed? If you're born again, it's time to live like it. Separate from the world. Live differently. Live for God. And be willing to follow the leaders in your life like Ruth followed Naomi. I'm going to love your God. I'm going to your land. And I'm going to be with you till the day I die. Wow. That's a powerful thing to say to your mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. I had a great relationship with her. She's one of my greatest supporters in our church. One time I had a colonel, high-ranking man, who wanted to make some changes in the church, and we were discussing it at dinner, and my mother-in-law said, well, I'll go talk to him, and I'll let him know. And I said, wait a minute, Mom. She had to scratch his eyes out for me, and she's the preacher's wife for 40 years. I love my mother-in-law. She was a great person, and this is a great story. But we all have to follow Jesus. Your mother-in-law may not be a Christian, I don't know. But you got to follow Jesus. Wives have to follow their husbands, and we all have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know hearts today, but you do. I don't know what's wrong in marriages today. You do. I don't know what's going on in the lives of my people, you do. In some cases, folks tell me, but in most cases, they don't. Most are embarrassed to say, I have a problem. Yet you say, confess our faults one to another. And you say, we're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to provide for one another. And so, Lord, as a family, we have to sometimes just say, hey, I'm struggling. I need your prayer. I'm having a hard time in this area of my life, and God, that will rally around the throne and lift people up in prayer and provide for one another. But God, I just pray that those that have trouble in their lives today can say, God, I'm willing to follow you and do the right thing. And I haven't been doing the right thing. Today, I'm going to do the right thing. I just pray, God, that each and every moment in this church, including right now, that we follow you. Blessed now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.